Educators Amplified, the podcast. Educators Amplified, Educators Amplified, where we amplify educators' voice, amplify students' experience, amplify well-being, amplify hope, amplify what's really going on in our public schools, amplify solutions to restore the education profession, amplify new possibilities. I'm Joanna. And I'm Hallie. We see you. We hear you. We are you. Welcome, everybody, to Educators Amplified, the podcast. Uh, We want to start out by just saying thank you to everyone for listening right now. I don't know what got you intrigued, but clearly you are. Um, And so, right, we are just really coming from a space of we're excited to be here. I'm excited to start doing this. I'm ready to be sharing my voice and really just trying to help empower people. And so it doesn't really happen without you guys. So we're inspired by your interest. I'm grateful for your support. And I'm hopeful that this show and community will grow into something that truly is helpful to us all. So thank you. Let's start off our episode by introducing ourselves a little bit. I'm Hallie Schmeling. I'm a mom, a wife, and I like to call myself a well-being enthusiast. And I just mean by that that I love understanding the mind and body connection and finding ways to feel at ease. Uh, As a mom, I want to share that my guru and someone that I love that helps me feel at ease um, is someone named Dr. Shafali. I just, I highly recommend her stuff. Her philosophy has helped me be a calmer and more present mother Um, to my four- and six-year-old daughters who are in uh, pre-kindergarten and first grade. Then I also think that Dr. Shafali probably also helps me be a better wife, too. (laughs) Um, I have a very supportive husband, Bobby. And as a family, I'd say we just love hanging out as the four of us. Uh, We're very active. We like to get outside. We play a lot of, like, catch or kick the ball or just... um, You know, we're just active. We like to move around a lot. And then I always like to share, if anyone's out there who is a reality TV show junkie, and specifically MTV The Challenge, can you contact me? Because I've got a million podcasts to recommend. Um, Any salacious tea I'm down for. I have a very guilty pleasure for that. Um, And yeah, I don't know why, but I need to tell everybody that. (laughs) A little bit about you, Joanna, just to kind of start before we go into education land. Right. Well, myself, my name's Joanna Rosado. I'm also a mom, um, and I have two children. I have a 20-year-old son who's off living his best life (laughs) in Madison, Um, and I have a 15-year-old daughter who's just starting to come into her own uh, as a 10th grade student in high school. I also have an adorable little dog named Parker. Um, (laughs) When I thought that I would never have a dog, and uh, that's always fun. And my husband, Ryan, he and I just love to kick it. He's also uh, involved kind of in this broadcast world as like a cameraman. And so we like to, it's so interesting to just hear about his work, my work, and then this project Mm -hmm. and how that 
kind of all aligns. Now we're speaking the same language about work, I suppose. Um, I just really enjoy gathering with friends. Um, I love to spend time outdoors, whether walking or hanging out by a campfire. Um, I love to go eat good food and restaurant. Anyone want to cook for me, please do. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite things. Right. Um, so cook for Joanna yep. and get me the Challenge MTV Right. Anyone spoilers. want to cook for me, I'm happy. Um, and right, I just do really enjoy, um, I don't know, connecting with others about mm-hmm. life, emotions, and and what can be done for ourselves. All right, so let's get into then just kind of who we are as educators. I've been teaching for 12 years, and what is defined as I reflect and think, what has defined my professional experience is that I started teaching at the height of Act 10, and I'm a millennial educator. While I'm teaching in the classroom and loving that, I can see that what's affected me the most is being in a top-down leadership structure. I've had four administrators, really principals is what I mean by administrators, in my 12 years of teaching so far. So what are we doing here if every few years we're switching up? You know, like, I feel like I should have that autonomy. And then (laughs) as I was thinking even further about having four administrators, so it's not only the, like, revolving door effect, But when I literally think about my experience with four administrators, so get this. First, my first, one of the administrators um, ended up getting in some kind of embezzlement case. So (laughs) there's that. Another one of my administrators straight up told me, I don't know what it is about you, Hallie, but I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Another administrator um, called me into their office to say, uh, because I was at a meeting and I asked a clarifying question. Uh, Literally, my question was, how do we define learning? Um, or How teaching. dare you? Right. And uh, I got pulled into the office and was given kind of like a, um, what is it called? Like a, like a bargain or like a, basically... They said you negotiated. Uh, negotiated, yeah. We negotiated that if I stayed silent, I wouldn't have to go to staff meetings anymore. Okay. <laughs> and then number four is not so much as like, "How are you? Good to meet you." Just kind of like, "Can you explain what's going on here?" Because in order for me to evaluate you, evaluate you, I need to know what Common Core State standards you're following and. I just need to make sure that like I can evaluate you or something like it was very bizarre. Like it wasn't like, what are you doing here? It wasn't like, tell me some accomplishments. It wasn't like, hey, wow, you've been doing what you've been doing for 10 years and you must be doing something right. It was more like prove to me something so that I can evaluate you on the thing that I don't even know that I'm evaluating. It's a real issue. And it's not just a sad story of you, Hallie. This is a story of many millennial educators. Mm -hmm. And it's evidenced by the numbers participated in the exodus. We don't have people. Something's got to change. It isn't like, wow, look at you as a professional. What can we bring out? How can I help you? How can we work together? It's very top-down, hierarchy. This is what you need to do, how you need to do it. If you ask questions, that's no good. A huge part of your identity has been in sounding this alarm and being like, yo, 
things aren't great and how that really has been discounted and dismissed in just general conversation. We have the examples too of people we know who've been like, well, if teachers are complaining all the time, why don't they just quit? Well, they are. And I don't know how good that feels for you or your children or your grandchildren. There is a sense of fear in me of if I leave, what's left for my babies, for all babies. Right. If everybody acts on what you're feeling. Yes. If everyone acts on the responses I get from people or the silence I get from people when I do share authentically what's going on in education. I'm very much met with silence or we'll just leave. And then my next thought is, well, if nobody's going to do anything about this, or if everyone's, if every educator is leaving, what's left for children? Right. That is a pervasive question that hurts to think about. We need good people and we need good people to stay. But that is now, I realize, a personal appeal. There's no structural thing mm. behind it. You know how yes. I get about that. Well, I'll be yes. like, systems of personal appeal versus structural support. Yes. So that's kind of, you know, a little intro of my teaching experience in a little nutshell. Mm-hmm. Well, myself, I have been working in the classroom for 26 years. And the majority of those in the beautiful, utopic world of alternative education. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that has really shaped uh, who I am as a professional and allowed me to feel, despite all of this chaos and disruption, I still feel very joyful and fulfilled by my direct work with students. However, it has been frightening and alarming to see how the greater system of education has changed. And, and like I said, um, or what you brought up, our experience in coming together has been has a lot to do with how different those experiences are and how it, it's, it really has been detrimental. So when I started out, you know, I've shared, like, I have a even a story of how, like, it was my old principal who called me to like be, like, your actual principal. My actual a, principal, like, when I was a kid in high school, even that. So, like, my principal knew the kids in high school. Right. You knew your principal, <laughs> yeah. too, because he came by our classroom. That's yeah. right. So, right. Yeah. So, back then, it was like, and I went to a large high school. Mm-hmm. My principal knew me. Mm-hmm. And not for any kind of like standout reason, you know. It was just right part of their job. Right. So description was my get first to know teaching kids. job. Right was being called by the principal from my high school that I went to to say, "Hey, I heard you've recently graduated. What do you think about interviewing here?" So I think maybe that's really different. So so I started out feeling extremely supported. I was invited in by people I knew. And my colleagues were literally my old teachers who were really excited to have me there. And who knows? Like, that had to be crazy for them, too. But I don't know. So I was brought up as a teacher in an extremely supportive environment. And then when I, even when I went to my second job again, it was with someone who knew me as a high school student and then also knew me 
when I was teaching. Um, and so, yeah, I had the experience of having just great support. And I think a lot of people in my generation did. My principals definitely came by and would say, hey, how's it going? What do you need? They'd point things out like, wow, those chairs look kind of ratty. Do you want me to order you some new ones? You know, and and just were extremely supportive. Or would be like, hey, a parent called me and asked me about this, but I said that you would call them back because you're you're the person dealing with the child. So could you be sure you call them back? Um, so anyway, I'll talk about this really supportive um, start in education. And then truly after Act 10, for whatever reason, I'm sure maybe somebody's done some research out there to figure out causation here. I did really see that change to um, support for teachers seriously diminishing and almost like a wall being put up. And I actually did. When I started my PhD, I did do a little bit of research on this for a while where I interviewed I interviewed some administrators to say, like, what directives were you given during Act 10? And I remember um, one of the interviewees telling me, we were directed to not align with the teachers. We were told, do not, like, comfort them or talk to them about this. Yeah, girl, I got that on tape somewhere because I did, like, an audio Mm -hmm. interview. Um, because I was curious and I, and, and so, because I felt that wall and boy, is that painful because (laughs) right. It's just like now, if I have a student in my class and I know they're suffering, but I never say anything to them about it. You can feel that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I really sense that was a shift Mm -hmm. and we certainly didn't feel like we were, we were all, we were all heading in the same direction. And I don't know if that was intentional, but it certainly had an effect to then, you know, what I saw then of your experience. And so I was able to kind of hold my own because I had all those years, you know, so Mm -hmm. when that happened, if that was whatever, 12 years ago, Mm -hmm. you do the math, girl. It was. No, I'm saying what's 26 minus 12? Oh, 14. So if at the time I had 14 years of experience with all that support, when that happened, I was Mm -hmm. confident and competent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so seeing how difficult it has been for people coming up past then, and of course, then specifically you, who we work so closely, it's a real issue. Oh, yeah. And so what I hear right now, too, is this was kind of like, our shared experience, but being able to see a stark difference in experience. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. And so then I want to go to another stark difference in our experience of teaching together, which I think is so important to highlight, is your experience of being a Latina educator. Mm. Talk more about that. Well, interesting. I was... This morning when we uh, we were working with the students, you know, we're getting into our inquiry-based learning process. Mm-hmm. And one of the key questions we ask students to start out in that path are like, what are some things in your life that you feel have defined you? Mm-hmm. And so I was giving them an example today where I'm like, I'll give my example. And I do feel like one of my main examples of what's defined me is 
my experience as a Latina student, and then as a college student, and then working within the profession. Mm -hmm. And I think it all boils down to, again, what is valued, you know? And so who I was or what I'm bringing or even the thoughts in my head I have just never been valued by the traditional system. Now, again, did I have teachers who love and care about me? Absolutely. Um, But does the system value life experience and the language of emotion and the skill of communication? Not really. What is valued are metrics. What is valued are grades and rank. And so thinking about that as a student, I just, as a child, I can remember I can't remember everything. I just remember having distinct feelings of messages that are sent, that people who have education are good and people who don't are bad. My dad only had, you know, like a fourth grade education. Mm -hmm. And my mom had dropped out of high school, again, due to her mother's death, which Mm -hmm. is something we see as consistent thing with our students. Um, my mom had dropped out of high school as well. So I definitely remember that as a kid feeling that. And in particular, I had a teacher who would always like, and I, in a way now I feel bad for this girl. He'd always like point out this girl whose dad was a doctor Mm. and be like, your dad is the most amazing man. Oh my gosh. Could you believe, you know, and I'd sit there and be like, you know what? My dad's pretty amazing too, but he works at a paint factory and yeah. I guess no one gives props to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember just those feelings. Then in college, I definitely felt, I think before college, I was pretty unaware of what privilege was or even meant or anything. That became pretty apparent to me in college when I struggled, one, just kind of living You know what I mean? Like being completely financially independent. And then two, with applying to the school of education, at first being deferred and then denied. And then when I appealed the decision, finding out what they made the decision on was solely grade point average. And even though I had like a 3.7 grade point average, um, there was a bunch more people who had 4.0 and that that was... That was just what was valued instead of like what I viewed as like my 3.7 and my four part-time jobs and my volunteering at a school and them saying they had a commitment to hiring more Latina teachers. That's where I figured out how to navigate systems or that's where I would say it occurred to me, honestly, like what systems of oppression are and how they work. Again, I wouldn't have had the language for it then, but that's how it felt or that's what it sparked in me. And then it actually was like people from within the system who shared that knowledge with me and were like, oh, you can appeal and this is what you're going to say and this is what you're going to do. And it was kind of like, would my parents have been able to advise me in that way? No. You know, so this was an aspect of like privilege or knowing, knowing the way. And now, you know, I'm sharing that with everybody. Oh, right. people, people got well, problems and I'm like, yeah, here's what you do. <laughs> Whenever I hear you share these stories of how, right, traditional education is very one way, one size fits all. And 
<clears throat> how you just you being you didn't fit that mold. It doesn't fit that mold. And how so many of our students in schools don't fit this mold. Right. Well, then it gets to my experience as a Latina professional. Yeah. Where the one thing I would say is, hey, you're all listening. You're hearing this voice. <laughs> but this voice has been what's been a problem for me. In terms of, I think, literally how I sound. Literally, the the strength of my voice is tone. Tone is like perceived as threatening. threatening. Mm-hmm. It just kind of amplified as a professional. Like again, you're a student, you're going through it, and then seeing it from a different lens as a professional, I would boil it down to that. That like, what is valued? I don't think I represent at large, and. That has been, on one hand, I'm okay. I mean, you know I'm okay with it because I'm like, I ain't trading this in for nothing and nobody. I'm good. On the other hand, I'm like, it's a real problem for students and for people who are thinking about coming into the profession who don't fit that mold, who are marginalized in any way, not just a, a Latina, like marginalized in any way. Yeah. What I always respect and really hear when you speak is this different lens and this important lens and this incredible wealth of knowledge and this incredible ability to have hope through, I guess, living your life in a way that doesn't fit. I'm just going to keep using the same phrase, but (laughs) doesn't fit the mold. I know I'll say to you, like, how do you keep going? You know, like, oh my gosh, you have been fighting for, not literally, but like fighting for these rights and fighting for this whatever. It's just, I I can just see how you have this ability to see the hope in it, even though we're in this really toxic situation. And situation, whether it's in the classroom, situation, whether it's in a school you're in, or literally, I'm talking about the situation we're in is like the professional, like education at large Mm -hmm. is is a disaster. Yeah. Well, I think I just really have compassion for why people may not be able to connect or understand. I don't view it as like adversarial or judgy. I feel my way through life and I'll feel that Mm -hmm. ultimately people's insensitivity or lack of connection is, I have compassion for that. I don't think it's intentional evilness. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, there's there's just a disconnection there. Yeah, that's something that I can feel too, but sometimes I might be like, um, but that's even how I think about like having four administrators, like what you just said there made me reflect back on like, I don't hold on to that as grudges against these four administrators or them as individual people. I really do view it as like, similar to what you're saying, compassionate and like, not in like a I feel sorry for you, but a space of understanding of we're trying to operate in a system that's broken. And this is what it's pushed us to. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, like it pushes us to do unhealthy things or say things you probably wouldn't say if mm-hmm. you were in a better headspace. And so you saying that did make me think of that. Like, right, I ain't trying to poo-poo on those administrators as individual people. Right. I see it from the system. And so then what the system is generating is just this really 
hard, toxic space where now we're here Mm -hmm. being like, okay, let's start this podcast. We can try to explain our inspiration for this podcast. I think it's hard because it's kind of this tornado of (laughs) events that have happened. You know, like it wasn't like one day we woke up and we're like, let's do a podcast. It's kind of been this ongoing passion piece of ours. And we've kind of been collecting little anecdotes or experiences along the way. And it's led us to feel like, okay, you know, people are really struggling out here. People are not doing well. And we're willing to be a voice to help. Yes. Um, We're in a space where Right. Not every day is great for me. And I I just really want to help other people. I want to empower people. I want people to know they're not alone. I want people to know that your passion, your professionalism shouldn't be in shambles, that you are good enough. All of that. So one story I did want to share that was probably one of my first things of meeting Joanna or just kind of getting into this, not only meeting Joanna, but like getting into this, I'm passionate, I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to be a voice for people. My, Like I said, my very first year teaching was Act 10. Mm-hmm. And and so why, while Act 10 is like, awful, and it was, I mean, those were hard times in my life. Like to learn that my relatives who I love were Scott, like were Walker backers <laughs> was like devastating to, you know, I'm 21 years old, like, you know, like all mm-hmm. that family influx. I remember teaching all day and then we rented a bus and we traveled to Madison and we'd go to Madison and we'd have this bus full of teachers and we'd get off. And I just remember, I knew we were there for something, but honestly at 21 and being fresh in the game, I really didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I knew, like I trusted these people at the bus I was with. Like they were all like, we can't have this. This is going to decimate our profession. This is not good. And But then I'd hear from the media that teachers are just selfish and that we just want better pay and we already have good pensions. So what are we complaining about? And I was like, what is going on here? You know, like seriously. Mm -hmm. And two things will always stick out to me. One, I couldn't believe how peaceful it was. I mean, literally, imagine elementary teachers. They're like the sweetest people (laughs) and they're like singing. And how I'd be like, solidarity forever yes like and then you'd watch the news and it would be like chaos at the capitol you know and i'm like whoa you know like Mm -hmm. this is crazy and i even remember like a child getting lost from their like their parent or something and over the loudspeaker someone being like a child in a red coat is missing you know everyone you know look around you they're about yay hi whatever and i mean within 45 seconds this child was found and to me i'm like (laughs) what rally do you go to where a child is lost and 45 seconds later he's reunited you know like i just it just really struck me where i was like okay all of these people can't be selfish people that the Mm -hmm. media is sharing 
Like these are people who are down, who have been teaching all day and now they're willing to come here, bringing their children. Like this is important. This isn't just like, give me a $5,000 raise. Like something Mm -hmm. big must be happening. It was my first experience of like, wow, can the news lie? And then the second thing that stuck out to me was during that time and feeling really hurt and feeling like I can't even tell people I'm a teacher because it's a controversial topic. I remember, you know, the influx of like, do I stay? Do I leave? Can I handle this? Can I can I do this? Can I not? And how hard it was and working so closely with Joanna and she was a huge support. And then being connected to Diane Ravitch. And I remember her saying during these times, get ready, like teachers, paraprofessionals, the professionals who work in education. So counselors, all of you, if you're staying in education, this isn't just about passion. This isn't just about, I like kids. This is your down to fight. And not like, you know, we're going to fight and be scrappy and beat people up, but more like, This is about something larger. This is about public education. This is about our democracy. This is about creating and like having like a future generation of children be productive citizens. So if you're staying, you're fighting for that. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess, has just been like, okay. And I would say that was probably into my fifth year teaching. And I was like, okay. Then like, that's what I'm doing. Like I am fighting for public education. So that's like, I, I share this because I'm like, right, seven years ago, I made this commitment to like, I'm fighting for public education. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know who Diane Ravitch is, check out her check blog. Her out. She's fabulous. She's never been an educator herself, but she's a really great advocate for public yeah. education. She's an educational researcher. You can fight for education in all sorts of ways. Seven years ago, it was like a seed planted, maybe even before that, but my first conscious seed planted was like, all right, like, this is why I'm here. Bring me seven years later, lots of experiences. Now we're starting this podcast. I mean, I don't think seven (laughs) years ago I was like, and I'm going to do a podcast, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But like, that was a progression. It was part of my inspiration Mm -hmm. of why I'm here. What do you think inspires you, Joanna, or what's keeping you chugging and wanting to do this? I just think I've always been interested in introducing people to their power. And and by that, I mean, you know, you can look at something as big as like, how are we going to overcome Act 10? How are we going to overcome the dismantling of public education and feel that it is really futile? And yet, introducing people to their power, having them understand it at a level where they can realize that change is possible and it starts with yourself. If you view it as like, oh, I'm going to go change that, like I'm going to change Scott Walker. Not. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you focus on that, like you can't do that. That's not in your power. The only thing within your power is is you and how you're going to approach things. And so how that leads, you know, how that's connected to a podcast is I think – just naturally, that's what, what I've done in, in conversations, one-on-one. And then I've always been one to also then host small groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always been one to be a union leader and kind of help organize people to unify that message within a local union. And then also, you know, bring that to our state-level union and and that. And 
Um, for me, the progression was, like I said, just wanting to, and so in all of those things, I would, I guess, share the stories of other people and amplify their message mm-hmm. in that way. And then it went to literally doing the Educators Amplified radio broadcasts, which were events that brought people together from urban and suburban districts, which is a bridge that that isn't that tight yet. Mm -hmm. And I saw that 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 was a need. And now we're here with the opportunity to be able to do a podcast, which will fit into people's lives more, where again, you can listen when you want, access when you need. Yeah, I think it's all cool. And I think us really coming together too is and wanting to do this and as future episodes go on is we do want to share about the unique things that we do in our classroom just because you know from talking to so many of our colleagues we see that there are things that can help even just keep our own sanity when we're in our classroom or to help students who are struggling or you know, just to how do we find balance in our lives. And so I think we with our with our fire, with our just background of who we are, and then literally what we've been doing the past 10 years. I'm like, dang, everything we're talking about sounds like big and fighting, advocating, and yet our core yes. is really prioritizing well-being self. Yeah. and self. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're ready for this. And so what we plan on doing just to kind of let people know is we really want to share stories from educators like you, Um, whether you are a teacher, whether you're a paraprofessional, whether you're a counselor, a school psych, um, what other titles are out there? Whatever you are, if you're working in a school right now, we we talk to all sorts of people, custodians. um, We want to amplify these stories and we really want to talk about them. We want people to hear What's going on in one district is not very different that's going on in another. Um, and that this really has to do with a larger, bigger picture of, of the dismantling of public education. And so we really are like, let's let's amplify these stories. Let's talk about the truth. You know, kind of like I talked about with the Capitol um, or during Act 10 was the media is not covering the truth or it's not covering what's actually going on is how I should say it. And so we really want to be a space where we can really share these stories. And then we're here to offer what we like to call the competing truth of what we hear and knowing that Joanna and I have a unique lens and that we want to offer a new lens to bring back hope, to bring back our passion, to bring back what we can do in schools. And then we'll also offer a dose of reality or a dose of real is what I like to call it. Um, And we'll talk more about like, how can we talk? Well, how can we take care of ourselves is what I mean by that. Like, how can we get real with ourselves? How can we find balance? How can we find ways to relieve stress so that we can really do the what we want to do and feel good at it. Mm-hmm. Access our true selves. Yeah. It makes me think about when you said, we're here to amplify your stories, amplify current problems, amplify solutions. And we really invite you into this process through mm-hmm. our Gmail, which Hallie yeah. will talk about later. We want to make these connections. Part of our way of doing things is I am really energized or the answers come by hearing others, not to talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. All of our stories are the pieces 
that will bring this thing together. And so this is a platform for that. Mm-hmm. We want to connect with you. We want to keep connecting with people, whether that's your connecting by listening, whether that's your connecting by writing into us. So we do have an email account. So reach out to us. It's literally educatorsamplified at gmail.com. Just reach out to us. It could be like, hey, what's up? Thanks so much. It could be, holy crap, listen to what just happened. Um, and we're totally open to amplifying these stories. And then we'll just talk about them um, and draw connections and interpret it through our lens. Um, I see it as backward and forward, too. Like, if you heard something that resonated with you in this mm-hmm. episode, like, you've got an Act 10 story, or you want to talk about your experience as a teacher with administration to this point, or you want to talk about what would you want to do a podcast about? What do you <laughs> want people to know? Right. Share that, or whether it's forward in terms of he- here's something that I hope you address or something that mm-hmm. I'm really thinking about. Let us know. Yeah, I like that. Well said. And then you can also find us on Instagram. Uh, Right now, we're just starting it. I admittedly am a visual person. And so it's funny that we're doing a podcast. But I'm like, right, Instagram can be that bridge where we just want to be able to offer resources. Or maybe if we talk about a concept, it'll be easier for us to be like, check out our Instagram to see this visual. Um, Because I just know my teaching style is that. I make all sorts of visuals for kids to connect with. So I want to have you guys connect to stuff too. And again, that's Educators Amplified, all one word, no space trying to keep it simple for everyone so you can find us. So follow us, tell your friends, um, but let's just connect and reclaim our profession. Uh, We are so appreciative that you're listening and yeah, we just want to keep this going. So thank you. We should say, we see you. We hear you. We We are are you. you. Thank you to our sponsor, WEA Academy. And thanks to Josh at Silver City Studios. 